as we start, I was thinking about, uh, for some reason, maybe it's in July, but I was thinking about Christmas presents. Like, how many of you remember your most favorite Christmas present, like from la- this last Christmas? Or has that totally escaped your mind? Uh, anybody, you know? I mean, it's interesting. I got one of my most favorite Christmas presents last Christmas. It was from Val, my assistant, who, who is so faithful and friendly. She gave me this button. I've got to put my mic down to ground. So you, you got to know that I'm not just a pastor. I'm an administrator. So you can imagine what the kind of nicknames that I get in the church office sometime, or the school office for that matter. You know, they say, Dr. No, the No-Meister, Jerry the Admin-Noster, you know, various kinds of things because, of course, <laughs> I have to control things around here. But when I got this, it was interesting because if you can't read that, that says... And it's got a variety of, of, of no's that I can use depending on my mood. Here's another one. No! Okay, or perhaps it'll be my favorite next. I can never tell which order it's going to come in. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. that was my favorite. Anyway, the, the point is, is uh, the reason I brought this up, I, I kept telling myself, I, there's got to be an opportunity to use this. By the way, my daughter-in-law, who's a kindergarten teacher on Maui, she said, I have got to get that for my classroom. <laughs> but I was thinking about... Uh, uh, what, to, what, what would the Lord have to say to us tonight from his word? And, and I, I was, I'd been reading in the book of Titus uh, in the New Testament, and uh, it, it occurred to me that there is a lot of emphasis on saying no in our society. In fact, over the last, say, 25 years, there's been a lot of emphasis given to what, for lack of a better term, the Just Say No campaign. Have, have, you, have you seen those? I mean, uh, and again, I have to admit, uh, having seen that over the years, uh, I know that there is some value in that. In fact, uh, the, the, the educational community will use that a lot to help younger students to understand the D.A.R.E. program, if you remember that. Uh, and it's still very successful in many regards. But yet the, the sad reality is that the Just Say No campaign really hasn't made all that much of a dent in changing people's behavior, in particular in the United States. You know, the United States has the highest rates of drug usage per capita in the world, especially among youth. That's a fact. That's a sad fact. Same thing can be said for saying no to premarital sex, alcohol and tobacco use, and a host of other harmful behaviors. Why? Because, you see, in the, at the end of the day, just saying no is usually not enough. It may work occasionally. It may work for a while. But there will eventually come a time and a place in most of our lives, if we're honest, that we'll just have a situation that's really hard for us to say no to, and we'll go, just this once. I found over the years... Uh, that many people are not interested in or become disillusioned with following Jesus or the idea of Christianity because of what I consider to be their perceived inability to say no to certain desires that they confront in their lives. 
I've talked to so many people over the years that think that Christianity is really just really a kind of a, a list of do's and don't. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and if you, you know, you check the, you tick off the boxes enough, then maybe you'll go to heaven one day. There's a lot of people that have that common misunderstanding. I mean, you know, the, in the end, it, it leaves you feeling frustrated, defeated. It makes you feel like, why try? Sometimes, you know, if we're really honest, maybe in our quiet moments, we'd think, is this really worth it? <laughs> I got good news. The answer is yes. Now, if you have a, a, one, a bulletin, I've got an outline in your bulletin that I want to encourage you to follow along with uh, as we look together. Uh, before we get into that, though, I remember uh, it was interesting. I was in a doctor's office waiting to see the doctor in a routine visit, and I saw an ad. And actually, I think, if I remember correctly, it was an ad on how to quit smoking. It was interesting. It caught my eye. It says, don't tell me why, tell me how. You ever feel like that? Don't tell me why I should say no. Tell me how. Well, I want to talk about how. And I want to look. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Titus in the New Testament. And let's look. At, we're going to begin tonight in chapter 2. And then we're going to go also into chapter 3. So here's how. The first thing, if you want to deal with these issues, you have to, first of all, look back. Look with me at uh, Titus chapter Three, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to read a bunch of verses in a row. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. See, it is possible, I believe, to say no to harmful and unhealthy kinds of things if you understand and appreciate all that Jesus has done for us. See, the Bible makes it plain, despite the mess we were in, whether we recognized it or not, despite the mess we were in, God reached down, lifted us up out of the condition that we were in, cleaned us up, gave us a brand new start, complete with a never-ending uh, supply of power to live that kind of godly life that Christ died to make possible for us. And again, he emphasizes it wasn't because of how good we were, how righteous we were, or anything we had done. He did it because of his love and of his mercy. Think too of how far you've come. I mean, just take a moment tonight. Some of you have been believers for a while, like a long while, like decades long. Look how far you've come. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I committed my life to Jesus. But I want you to just pause for a moment and think what you were maybe a year ago. 
compared to who you are today. I'll bet you you've seen some change in the right direction. I hope that's true. Because you see, when you look back and you see all that Jesus has done for you and all he's doing in you, it motivates you to take those next steps. To top it off, of course, he says, I love that. He says he's made you an heir of eternal life. You're in his royal family. That's exciting. But it's not just looking back. We also have to look ahead. Let's look at this uh, next passage over here. In 1 John chapter 1, no, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, it's possible to say no if you realize that Jesus is coming soon. You know, many Bible scholars believe that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent, meaning he's coming soon. Now, disclaimer. When I became a Christian back in the 70s, there were a lot of friends of mine that were going, oh, you know, the Lord's going to come. I had a good friend, in fact, and he used to say, well, why go to college? You know, Jesus is coming, man, you know? You know, just like, and he, he was kind of joking, but maybe not. He would say, yeah, we just charge our credit cards up. The only thing that'll, the only people that will miss us is our creditors. <laughs> you know? That's like, where's my no button? You know? <laughs> That's not the attitude to take. It's interesting. I've wondered over the years, well, when is Jesus going to come? I think the bigger issue is, if he came today, would I be ready? Would he find me faithful if he showed up tonight? Would he say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? That's what I want. How about you? You see, it's when we look ahead and realize Jesus may come at any time. Now, there are many scholars that believe that the days we're living in are unique. The regathering of the nation Israel, which has never happened in human history a nation that had been dispersed and came back together in 1948, the technological advances that are occurring, the political developments that have happened, in particular, good grief, in the last six months with this whole thing with Iran. There, there are many other things that we could point to, the proliferation of false prophets, the ability for mass destruction by nuclear devices. This has been around for a while, but it's simply heightened. It's heightened. And because of that, one of the things that I think we need to remember is that Jesus may come at any time. Now, the Bible makes it plain that while Christians will never know exactly when he's going to come, in fact, Jesus said, the son doesn't even know, only the father knows. So if people are out there predicting, well, he's going to come at such and such a time. In fact, I have a file folder in my office with various predictions from people over the years. Well, Jesus is coming. You know, I got 88 reasons for 1988. Well, guess what? He didn't come in 1988. And by the way, how many of you committed your life to Christ 
after 1988. Anybody here? Aren't you glad he didn't come in 1988? Do you see what I'm saying? The point is this. I believe that on the one hand, God never intended that his people be caught by surprise at his second coming. He's given us many signs, many indicators, many things to pay attention to in his word that are being fulfilled, many of which are fulfilled in in our lifetimes. But on the other hand, we shouldn't live in escapism or fear. I've met some people over the years who go, yeah, we better lock and load, you know. Let's get those, you know, we're going up to the mountains. We're going to get the canned food, you know. We're going to get the water. We're going to be ready, man. Those guys come after. Other people are like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to be raptured, man. I'm going to be taken out of here. And it's like this Harry Houdini thing. It's like I just want to escape, you know. Never mind what happens to the world. It can go to H-E double hockey sticks. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. In other words, Either of those extremes, I don't think, is what Jesus wants for us. When we look ahead to Jesus' coming, like this verse says, he who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, meaning as we hope in the second coming, as we prepare ourselves, as we look ahead, it changes us. It helps us to live for him, to make a difference. Third thing that will help us to deal with this kind of unhealthy desires is to watch out. If you think that the world around you or your being within you is going to cooperate with your desire to live for Jesus, think again. How many of you know that ungodliness as this scripture. In fact, let's go back. Let's look at the scripture. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that this passage teaches is that ungodliness is the norm today. It's normal. Now, look, if you like history, and I happen to like history, there have always been problems in society, both in our lifetimes and, you know, generations before us. It it, it is true, but I also think that it's pretty fair to say that the standards for morality in the United States, in many regards, are at an all-time low. Do I have to give any specifics? I don't think so. And there's little or no encouragement to, to, you know, to, to, to live for God. Actually, if you think about it, there's little or no encouragement to say no to anything. Well, except to God. <laughs> have you noticed that? Nobody encourages you to say yes to God. They just say, uh, never mind God. Another term that Paul uses in this letter to Titus, one of his disciples, is he said, you got to watch out for worldly passions. Hey, listen, worldly passions are very powerful. They're very strong. It may be subtle at the start, but You know, you start saying yes to certain worldly passions at the end, 
They're like a tractor beam, okay? You want to say no, and it's like, you know, you're being pulled in by those worldly passions where you try to say no, and it really doesn't do much good. Yet in the face of such a strong undertow, as it were, a strong current that's in our society, God calls us to swim upstream. The Bible says that God's grace teaches us to say no. How? Well, in a word, by the Holy Spirit, that he's given to us generously. You know, sometimes we may not say this, but we feel like, well, you know, because of my life and the way that I live, you know, what, what, what I really feel like is that God comes and says, okay, you want my Holy Spirit? Okay, you made an effort, you came to church. So here, get out your little dinky communion cup, I'll give you a little drop. That's all you get for the way you've been living this week. Do, do you know what I'm Like, we wouldn't say that, but that's how we feel. But listen, that isn't how it is at all. The Bible says that God has given us his Holy Spirit generously. Generously. To enable us to live for him. One of the main things that he gives us his Holy Spirit for, though, is this fourth point, which is this, and that is to do good. You know, if you want to do good, you have to recognize some things. One thing I learned over the years, some of you remember that uh, my first career before I became a pastor, I was a tennis teacher. I taught tennis for my job for 10 years. And one thing I discovered, I learned many things during that, that time period in my life, but one thing I discovered for sure was this. There really is no way to get rid of a bad habit. I would have lots of students that come to me and say, I need to correct this. I need to get rid of this bad habit. I've developed a bad habit in this area. But there's really no way to get rid of a bad habit. Did you know that? You can really only take on a better one. You need to begin doing that fourth point, which is do good. In fact, Paul the Apostle says in this passage that, that we were looking at, four different times he tells his people, do good. Do good. Do good, do good. He's obviously, you know, as some old teacher said many years ago, repetition is the mother of all learning. Paul was making a point. He was beating that drum because he said, he's basically saying, look, folks, if you want to overcome these things, if you want to live for God, you've got to practice doing good. Think about it. You and I are always saying no to something. Right now, you're saying yes to coming to church here tonight. You could be going somewhere else, doing something else, but you've said no to those things essentially by default. By saying yes to this, you've said no to a number of other things. And by the way, not necessarily bad things, but you've automatically, by choosing to come here tonight, you've automatically said no to a number of other possibly good things that you could have done. Now, hopefully it's, you know, uh, you've said, you know, when you say no to one thing, it's for something more important. Because you, for example, have a goal. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to know Jesus better. I want to get to know my church family better. Okay, so you make that decision 
that helps. The problem is sometimes, or have you ever experienced this? To me, I feel like sometimes the Christian life is sometimes marked more by restraint than freedom. It's like, you know, everything we do, we run it through this little screen in our head. It's like, oh, I can't do this, can't do that. And it's all, it's all about this sort of white-knuckling my way through life. And I'm not going to do I'm just going to tough it out. I'm going to live for God. You know? And the problem with that, is, it's like, come on. You know? Did Jesus die to make your life, like, you know, like that? I don't think so. Now, is it true, though, is it true sometimes that saying no to things is hard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. But in my opinion, the reason that we don't have confidence, the reason that we don't feel free, the reason those times we think, wait a minute, I thought Jesus died to set me free. The reason that we don't have that is because we're focusing on the restraint and so much that we don't even have sight on the freedom that he wants us to live in. It's not so much restraint. He wants release. He wants us to let him out, as it were. Do you see what I'm saying? He wants us to enjoy. And that's why joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, if you know what Jesus has done for you, of what he's going to do for you one day, and how he wants to work in you and for you now, in order that he might work through you, it changes your perspective completely. It helps you to realize, wow, my past has been forgiven. My future is guaranteed. The Lord has given me his Holy Spirit to live for him. Wow, there's a change there. To me, this is what I call the big yes on the inside. See, when I recognize that, there's something inside me. It's an inner imperative, an inner, like a burning thing that's like, yes, yes. I, Christ has done so much for me. I want to live for him. Instead of that kind of tight-lipped, intense, you know, always hitting the no button, you know, kind of a life, okay? God wants us to be free to say yes to him. See, the real key to me is not just saying no. It's actually saying yes. Because you see, the, the whole point of this message tonight is this. It's when you say yes to Jesus that he gives you the power to say no to other things. That's when the freedom really comes. I brought this cup tonight to make a point. Now, right now, and I'm no scientist, um, but right now, this cup is full of air. Okay, so what's the best way to get the air out of the cup? Now, before you answer, I'm sure there's some scientific device, some vacuum thingy that some child genius somewhere has invented you know, where they, they put this thing on, it kind of, and it sucks the, all the air out of it. But there's a problem with that. What might happen to the cup? It might shatter. It'd be no good for anything. 
There's another way, though, to get the air out of this cup. Anybody? You just fill it up with water or whatever. You know, when you fill a cup, it drives the air right out. That's what the Bible says when it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying to us, you know, the Holy Spirit is there. If you, if, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not even part of Christ. If you have Christ, he's saying, hey, be filled again. Come back. Tap into that. Let the Holy Spirit overflow you. And it's in that overflowing experience, that's when life gets very different. See, in other words, you can say no if you've said yes to Jesus. But see, that's where I want to end tonight. Some of you tonight have already said yes to Jesus, but for various reasons, things have not gone well. Maybe they haven't gone well this week for you. This is a great opportunity to say yes to Jesus again. Not for the first time necessarily, but maybe you're like, okay, I want to get this right with you, Lord. We're going to take communion in just a moment here. And as we do, that's just an ideal opportunity. Think of the word communion. It's to commune. It's to reconnect with somebody. Jesus said, you know, when you take this bread, which is this like a symbolic of my body, it's broken for you, and you take the cup, which represents my blood, he said, you do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's, it's the Lord's Supper. It's, a, it's an opportunity to reconnect with him. Now, for some of you, though, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe tonight you need to. As the elements are passed in just a moment from the ushers, I want to encourage you to hold the bread and the cup and wait until everybody is served, and then we'll eat and drink together. As the people are getting ready to be served, would you bow your head and heart with me? Father, I thank you for your word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. I thank you, Lord, that you want to connect with us more than we want to connect with you. Forgive us, Lord, for the different choices we make, the ways that we disconnect ourselves from you. Lord, we thank you for your great sacrifice for us. and pray that you would help us to experience you more fully right now. In Jesus' name, amen.